Good morning, and welcome to episode 443 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you? Excited to see what you've brought for us to discuss today. Uh, I have a couple of quick things okay. at the top, if we if we if we can. Sure. Uh, Let's see. Uh, did you see uh, that we have a new a new entry in the uh, in the, in the hustle uh, in the hustle test or whatever? Remind uh, me. With, with Troy Tulowitzki. No. So Troy Tulowitzki um, and Grant Brisby identified this for us. Grant, uh, Troy Tulowitzki uh, decided that uh, he wasn't going to get in a rundown. He got caught in between first and second and just decided to stand there. And mm. let the guy tag him, uh, and it was pretty, pretty, um, pretty egregious. If you're if you're into into identifying lack of hustle, mm-hmm. uh, he just he just stood there, like uh, tauntingly almost, uh, refusing to move. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, defiant, cons- yeah, defiant. Yeah, he conceded, gave up. You might mm-hmm. say he quit. You might say he quit on the game. Uh, quit on all of us. I'm sure uh, someone will. And uh, so this seemed getting into a rundown doesn't particularly seem like hustle <laughs> to me. It seemed like this is a this is probably something that we can expect baseball players to do mm-hmm. is to try to avoid being tagged. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like the second inning, I think, uh, and like a yeah, I don't know three run game or five run game or something like that. But very early in the game, uh, so I would say that I, I would. In the uh, in the in the hustle test, I would put this very early. This would be one of the easy questions. Yeah, yeah. That's... Uh, really, one of the like almost like uh, like in a polygraph test. This would be the equivalent <laughs> of uh, where were you born? Uh-huh. Or uh, right. you know, this is just the the calibration what, yeah. question. <laughs> the baseline. What, what country are you in? Kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. That's what got Bryce Harper in trouble when he was benched isn't so much that he just jogged to first because a lot of people jogged to first. What what got him in trouble was that he peeled off before he even approached first base. He just turned back to the dugout instead of going through the formality of touching the bag, even if he's out by, by many feet. So that, yeah, that seems to be, that seems to be the most egregious when you don't complete the motion, the movement, whatever it is. Even if it's futile, if you did, you have to go through the motions. Yeah, one of the things that I love to watch for in baseball is is actually the uh, the guy who touches first, uh, who runs out the play, but does it so slowly, huh. and and you're wondering like when where the sense of obligation kicks in that makes him uh, finish that route to first, even though it's like a 13 or 14 second. Uh, uh, time to first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy that. I enjoy like wondering what the priority, what the sort of priorities are that require a guy to touch first, but to do it in 13 seconds. <laughs> wanting, uh, wanting not to get benched, I guess. It, yeah, in such an exaggeratedly slow way. I saw a great one of those the other day. Uh, but uh, so okay, so but Tulo, uh, to, I guess Tulo doesn't have any sort of this. This does not. Um, contribute to an existent narrative of Tulo as being a, a non-hustler. So he's probably safe, I would also, say, for now. Yeah, plus he's in the midst of an insane hot streak. So I don't know whether that gets you any hustle leeway, any hustle grace period when you're hitting like 600 over a 
period of I don't know, like over a hundred plate appearances or whatever the yeah. crazy number is. Oh, I mean, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and especially because Tulo's a little bit fragile, I could at this yeah. point, at this point, I could see Walt Weiss telling him if it's not a home run, I just want you to stop. <laughs> yeah, the, just the less he has to move, the better. Uh, all right. Uh, second thing, did you see that uh, another Rays minor league pitcher? Yes, I, I did. I believe was it Steve Steve Geltz. Geltz, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, suspended for uh, a drug of abuse, or was it a drug of abuse? Uh, RJ sent me the link. Let me see what it was. I don't remember whether it was performance enhancing or not. And I don't think that we've ever spoken about this on the podcast, but you have written about the. Well, yeah, we have. We've we had an entire topic about the Rays and whether this was part of their strategy to sign bad guys. Mm-hmm. But um, you wrote a piece recently about whether the Rays uh, whether the Rays have a drug problem mm-hmm. uh, ba- uh, based on their uh, their their drug suspensions, which were uh, what the most frequent in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would you would you say the most by a considerable margin, or was the point of it that it was pretty close? Uh, it was a second positive test for a drug of abuse, by the way, for Jelts. Uh-huh. Um, it was it was close for performance enhancing, but it was a pretty pretty big gap if you count drugs of abuse. So That's you know, right. drug, yeah. drugs of abuse being marijuana for minor leaguers mostly. Um, if you counted those for the Rays, then then they had a pretty significant lead on the organization with the next most suspensions. And if you just limited it to performance enhancing, which is mostly amphetamines, but, you know, some steroids, then then they were only slightly ahead. But they were ahead both ways. Someone on the Facebook group asked if we could look into this or asked whether whether it was significant. And it was something that I had noticed, too, just sort of anecdotally looking at news come across about so-and-so as minor leaguers were suspended. It seemed like there were a bunch of rays, and, and there have been. Uh, I, can't, I can't imagine how you would know that it's pronounced Jelts instead of Gelts. <laughs> I don't know. Pick these things up. Uh, do you know what, if his first suspension was while he was with the Rays or, or while he was with the, uh, with the Angels? I do not know that. I don't either. Um, all right. And then the last thing, uh, quickly, uh, Starling Marte uh, stole a base last night. He was dead to rights, dove headfirst, but did the clever hand maneuver, uh, dodged the tag, and, uh, and, and was safe. So mm-hmm. that was a, a clear win for the headfirst side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, about the race thing, do you? I I concluded that the the performance enhancing stuff probably doesn't mean anything. It's not like they are encouraging their players to take them or something, or or that they're much more lax than another organization. I wouldn't think. But do you buy the interpretation that they have had more drug of abuse suspensions because? Because guys who might tend to take those drugs of abuse might get bad makeup raps in the baseball community, and uh, the Rays are less concerned about that sort of thing than other teams, or that they look at it as, you know, players with warts will go acquire the guys who, who might get busted on a marijuana suspension now and then because they'll come cheaper, or we can acquire them with, you know, without giving up as much. Do you buy anything to that, or do you think it's purely chance? No, I've always thought that it was a plausible uh, explanation for the race. Uh, I don't. I mean, there's not there's not evidence. You'd, I'd need to see a memo. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it always seemed it it always seemed very plausible. 
and uh, ever since the the hypothesis uh, sort of first came up, there's been plenty of evidence since to support it. It it doesn't seem like this is just confirmation bias where we're picking them out. I mean, it mm-hmm. it really does seem like you know half of the player uh, behavioral problems in the game <laughs> tend to happen to raise, and they are not half the teams. I don't know that I would go so far as to say that it's makeup, though. I don't know if you meant it that way or if you're just using a quick word, but I think that uh, that warts is slightly different than bad makeup. Mm. Yeah, um, I mean, it's maybe it's bad makeup in the in the sense that you can get suspended for a long time for doing these things, and that's not good. True, true. Even if even if it's silly that you can get suspended for that under mm-hmm. the current rules, you can. Mm-hmm. Oh going this way huh we're we going is this going to be your topic one of these days <laughs> oh am i gonna go on a oh, go on a I, rant about minor league marijuana suspensions yeah yeah maybe all right uh that'll be fun um <laughs> all right so i wanted to talk about a few instances this year of uh of lineup protection or lack of lineup protection um generally i think that we're in agreement that lineup protection is you know, it, the idea of it makes sense in the abstract, and yet uh, there's really no uh, there's no evidence that it shows up in any way, significant or even um, insignificant, and that basically pitchers uh, pitch to guys the same, regardless of who's batting behind them, other than maybe if the pitcher is batting behind them, and that this is interesting, but um, but generally lineup is. Uh, line of protection is uh, used by writers to create narratives that don't exist. Is is that a, a fair description of what you think about line of protection? Yeah, or I I think it's it's not the case that it makes no difference who's sitting behind you, but I think the the studies have found that it makes no difference to your production, right? That that maybe you you might see fewer strikes or something, but it it all evens out in the end because you know you might. You might hit the ball less often, but you'll walk more often. It doesn't make you less productive, I think, mm-hmm. is, is what the research suggests. All right. So I wanted to just point out three examples this year of, uh, of kind of counterintuitive uh, lineup protection uh, situations. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, Miguel Cabrera. Um, Miguel Cabrera, you know, was so good the last two years, and um, there would always be a couple of articles written about Prince Fielder, and uh, how Prince Fielder was, you know, really uh, an under an underrated aspect of his success, and that, you know, you heard about how he was the he was batting behind Ryan Braun when Ryan Braun was the MVP, and then he goes to Detroit, and Miguel Cabrera becomes the MVP, and and uh, you know, Prince Fielder was seen by uh, some columnists as as part of Cabrera's success, mm-hmm. and uh, so this year um, Miguel Cabrera has the highest zone rate of his career uh their th- pitchers are throwing him more strikeout uh, more strikes more pitches in the strike zone than they have at any point in his career during the pitch fx era and uh and it's actually been going up over the last couple of weeks uh it was already the highest a couple of weeks ago when uh somebody first noted this and it's gone up since then and so clearly the lack of prince fielder has not uh made pitchers walk Miguel Cabrera more or even pitch around him more. They're throwing him more strikes than ever. And um, Who is hitting behind Miguel Cabrera mostly? Victor Martinez. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I just, uh, this is interesting to me, not be, uh, I'm using the liner protection uh, hook to bring this up, but to me it's more interesting to ask whether uh, pitchers are pitching to him more because they've identified um, that he is worse this year than he mm-hmm. was last year. And if that's the case, how quickly do you think that teams are able to spot this? You know, we yeah. wouldn't, we're not, you and I aren't drawing conclusions about Miguel Cabrera's true talent level or short or long term future based on a month of plate appearances. Um, do you think that teams are able to identify it much more quickly? And do you think that they act on that? Or uh, is this a fluke? And do you think that basically teams would pitch Miguel Cabrera the same now as they did five years ago, one year ago, and, and two years from now? Hmm. Well, I I think it's likely that that is the reason um, that, that they're pitching to him more this year, that they think he's diminished in some way. And I would... I would think that they would pick up on it pretty quickly if it's if it's a physical thing. Like if it's I don't know if if it's just someone whose timing is off or something. I don't know whether that's even really something that you want to act on because that could change very quickly as we've seen with hot streaks and cold streaks. It doesn't seem like people who are on them at any one time are are really more likely to continue to be on them than anyone else is. But but if you're hurt or if you, I don't know, if you've, if you're clearly suffering in some way, and I know that people have talked about Cabrera and how he's, he's swinging differently or he's, he's keeping both hands on the bat when he falls through instead of sort of letting it go freely like he used to. Um, that, I mean, if there is a problem, then teams should pick up on it right away, right? Because they are advanced scouting every series. And even if even if a lot of teams are doing that via video now and not sending people, if someone is assigned to watch, you know, most of the pitches or most of the plate appearances of the team that you're about to face, and there's a guy who is hurt or is not not performing up to his usual level for some way for some reason, then if that person is any good, then they should pick it up, right? Someone is assigned to do that. Yeah, I would think that there would be two tiers of this adjustment. One would be the advanced scouts, and yes, I would think that that would be fairly quick, although not not immediate. Um, you know, faster than than the, you you could probably identify it statistically, yeah. but but not immediate, not one series or one week, or maybe even not maybe not even maybe not even this quickly, but but maybe. Um, but then you'd also have the kind of in-game slash in-series uh, adjustment where. Simply, you know, the first pitch of the game, the pitcher throws a pitch, and he and the catcher, even without really necessarily realizing it, even without necessarily uh, consciously realizing it, they see how Cabrera handles that pitch, and some, you know, it affects the way that they uh, approach him with the next pitch. And mm-hmm. if you beat him with a fastball uh, on the first in the first at bat, uh, then it gives you a different sense of what you can do against him in the second at bat, and. Mm-hmm. I would think that that would be immediate, and yeah. the, you know, you always hear catchers and pitchers say that sort of thing. Like right. he, would, he looked slow on that, so I called for another one. That kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that some of it is conscious, and some of it is probably uh, unconscious. I mean, there's there's a little bit of um, intuition, I would I would think, when 
pitchers and catchers are working against a hitter that they don't even really realize they're doing, that it just becomes sort of unconscious the way that you adjust to, to the hitter. But yeah, I mean, they're watching his feet and they're watching, you know, how he's, they, it's, it's almost like the difference between um, being on a fastball and being off a fastball from a hitter's perspective is, is almost, it's like it requires a certain, um, like, blink element, you know, where uh, an experienced pitcher, an experienced catcher can just see it, even if they can't necessarily, even if you can't necessarily identify it, uh, you know, I, I, I don't quite know how to explain this, but it just looks a little different, you know? It's mm-hmm. it's like the Uncanny Valley, right, where it, it, the, it looks 99.8% the same, but that 0.2%, there's just something that looks different to the mm-hmm. trained eye, yep. and they can just sort of spot it. Um, and so, yeah, I could see that being a very quick adjustment. So, uh, so how much then, I mean, if you were looking at Cabrera's stats right now, uh, how much would you, um, how much would you weight this? How much would you, would you weight the change in the way the league has pitched him? And, and I guess the question is that is in any case, if you're a, you know, fantasy player and you're trying to decide how much stock to put into a guy's early season numbers. Um, should you even bother, or should you just go look at how the teams are approaching him and, and assume that they know more than you're going to? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that it, like, is it conceivable that that's actually the, the best information that we have as analysts? Yeah, I think one of our recent authors, at uh, our new authors at BP, Rob Arthur, has been doing a couple articles lately on, on how teams pitch to hitters and what kind of hitters tend to see a lot of fastballs or tend to see a lot of pitches in the zone. And he he did one on Monday about Albert Pujols and how over the years, over the pitch FX era, how close to the zone the pitches to Pujols have been and how that has sort of tracked with his performance and maybe even anticipated his performance a little bit in that uh, teams seem to be less afraid of throwing him pitches in the strike zone or or were more willing to expand the zone because he seemed to become less disciplined as a hitter. So yeah, I think that's it's probably something that we we could use more than we do. I mean, you have to be a little careful about the the sample size, but that is a thing that that stabilizes pretty quickly because it's not yeah, really more quickly, more quickly than right. anything that we're likely to look at from the player's perspective. Yeah, because it's not dependent on multiple parties or anything it's just where the pitcher wanted to throw the pitch and and obviously you need a little bit of a sample so that you're not getting you know one starter who has terrible control or something or one guy who's cliff lee or so you need a a little bit of time but it is something that you can look at pretty quickly and and yeah if 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 a team has a scouting report that says that this guy is not the same hitter as he was then probably the quickest way that you could realize that is by how they pitch him. So, yes, maybe it's something that we should look at more often. Yes, and thank you for bringing up that piece uh, by Robert Arthur, the pools piece, because that's actually what inspired this topic. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, it was a, a very, very interesting piece, a very yeah. good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so speaking of, of Albert Pujols, uh, this year Albert Pujols is batting behind Mike Trout, and he's, he's very good. And uh, last year... Uh, he was batting behind Mike Trout, and he was not very good. And uh, then he wasn't there at all, and Mike Trout was batting in front of, I, I, 
I guess Josh Hamilton who was not very good or um, maybe I don't maybe Mark Trumbo um, but the point is that this year Mike Trout has lineup protection last year he had no lineup protection or very little lineup protection um, and he is uh, seeing the lowest zone rate of his career uh, which is to say that the opposite has happened uh, pitchers are uh, are pitching around him more or at least they're pitching they're throwing fewer strikes to him than they have before even though he has line of protection so you uh, looked a little bit at Mike Trout's uh, performance this year his uh, his whiff rate his um, sort of general strikeoutiness mm-hmm. um, and so I guess that it's conceivable it's probably not just conceivable it's probably the best theory that uh, this thing that I've just cited about his zone rate probably has nothing to do with line of protection or lack of it or uh, addition of it at all, but is simply that Mike Trout is, uh, pitchers are pitching to him differently. They're trying to get him to chase more, uh, and he is chasing more. Um, So what did you, when you uh, talked to Mike Trout last week and when you looked at Mike Trout's numbers last week, what did you conclude about his outlook for the season or his changing uh, style, I guess, of hitting? Um, well, I couldn't tell whether it was one. That was why I wanted to talk to him, because sometimes you will look at these early season changes in strike in strikeout rate or in chase rate or swing rate or something, and you'll see a big difference from the previous year, and you'll want to know whether that's something real. And last year I did that with Brett Gardner, who had been ultra-selective and was suddenly swinging a lot more, and that he said it was a real thing and his hitting coach said it was a real thing. So we knew it was a real thing. Trout has struck out more. Um, he is at 27.5% strikeout rate right now and career. He is at 21.1%, even including the spike this year. So that's considerably higher. And his contact rate is, uh, considerably lower. It is, it's actually, it's actually come up since I was looking at it. And, and so I, I asked him, because his contact rate was low, it was one of the biggest declines from last season of any hitter. And I asked him whether he was trying to maybe hit for more power because he had at that point, and so was was selling out for power a little more and was trying to pull the ball and was okay with more whiffs. And, and he gave me sort of the standard Mike Trout cliche response about just trying to barrel balls and you know hit balls hard and guys making good pitches and got to tip your cap and if there was a real real change in approach he was not letting on and looking at his plate discipline stats on his bp player card right now i don't see enough there to to conclude that there is any real difference his his contact rate is uh it's it's come up. It, it was at like 73% when I looked at it. It's at like 78% now, and his career rate is 81, 82. So that's that's not big. And his his uh, O-swing rate, his chase rate, is identical to what it was in 2012 and just a bit above what it was last year. So I don't think it's that big a difference. It looks to me like from 2012 to 2013, his zone rate went down quite a bit and whether that was because of the lineup protection or because people recognized that he was amazing all of a sudden, I don't know why, but 
but that was a big decline. This year, it's actually a pretty small decline. Last year, he saw 48% of his pitches in the strike zone. This year, it's about 46%. And he's barely actually chasing anymore. So it doesn't look to me like it's a big thing. I think when you when you factor in the fact that the whole league is striking out more and take that away from his increase, I think it's probably probably nothing, really. Good. Uh, all right. Well, when Mike Trout... Uh, is bad. Like right. Like when Mike Trout actually does collapse and become horrible. I want you to tell me first, okay? I'd like you <laughs> okay. to be ahead of ahead of the game, and I want you to tell me about three weeks before it happens. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we should we should look at his his zone rate to monitor how teams are pitching him, so we'll know. All right. So uh, third one, John uh, Carlos Stanton. Last year, uh, you and I both wrote about uh, what it would. I guess we wrote about what it will be like now that teams have no obligation to pitch to him or incentive to pitch to him at all. Uh, you wrote about whether the league would pitch to him. I wrote about whether he would adjust to that or, or why he hadn't adjusted to that, I guess, a couple weeks into the season. and um, uh, but, but really, it didn't get out of hand. You know, they, he, I don't think he had the lowest zone rate in baseball. I think he intentionally walked five times all year. Um, you know, they, they more or less did treat him like a, you know, like a normal hitter, a hitter who's dangerous and who would chase, but they did not uh, turn the game into a farce as, uh, as opponents have done to Bonds. So this year, uh, is a, it's a little, there's different circumstances because um, uh, now with Casey McGeehee, uh, quote unquote, protecting him, uh, which by the way, on opening night uh, of the baseball season, uh, Eduardo Perez did talk about how the Marlins... Uh, had gotten McGee, and so he would protect Stanton. Like they, he actually <laughs> said, the Marlins went out and got McGee. So uh, somebody who's capable of protecting Stanton is how what he said. So that was great. But anyway, uh, so there's no real difference, I would say, in in the protection behind him. However, this year Stanton's amazing. Last year mm-hmm. he was, you know, he's a pretty good hitter, but not. Uh, it was a down season. This year he's been, you know, one of the most dangerous, terrifying hitters in the game. Yeah. Uh, his strike. His zone rate has not changed. It's 41% again this year, which is one of the lowest in the game, but it hasn't changed from last year. Um, and we got a question not that long ago asking why anybody would pitch to Stanton, essentially asking why he doesn't get the Bonds treatment. Uh, do you consider this a... Uh, the Bonds treatment is really only applied, it seems, once in history. Yes. Um, and uh, it's conceivable that, in fact, the Bonds treatment has been used enough it's also conceivable, I would say, that the bond treatment has been used one time too many. That, in fact, teams were essentially uh, uh, acting against their self-interest and that they made bonds considerably more valuable than he would have otherwise been uh, simply because they were afraid. Um, I, don't, I, don't know if, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the answer to that is, but do you think that Stanton is uh, making a push in this particular set of circumstances where the Marlins uh, cleanup hitters have been so hysterically outdated? Uh, is Stanton making a push for uh, for legitimate bonds treatment? Uh, and I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a pretty complicated question. You could probably try to figure out what the the optimal rate of pitching to Stanton is, but it's not something I could do off the top of my head. He is he is leading the league in intentional walks with eight, which is uh, more than he had all of last season. Same, so, roughly the same walk rate overall as last year, which is interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the intentional walks last year were so low that it was shocking. I mean, even if, even if he had had a good hitter behind him, 
you yeah. wouldn't have been surprised if he didn't been intentionally walked more than five times. I don't quite know how to explain that. Yeah, that was that was actually fewer. That was his fewest, his fewest intentional yeah. walks in exactly. his career, even though he was being backed up by Placido Polanco or whoever. He was intentionally walked more his rookie year in a half season with a lower <laughs> OPS. Yes. That, okay. So I, I I suppose I'm comfortable saying that that was probably not the optimal way to approach him. Although. I don't know. I mean, I'm generally against intentional walks. They're generally not a great percentage play, it seems like. But but maybe that was a situation where it's extreme enough that, that you could understand it. He's been great, but he's been nowhere near as great as Barry Bonds. So I don't know. I mean, at this point, he's he has pretty much the same on-base percentage as he's had the last couple of years. Of course, the, the league OBP has maybe declined a little bit. 364, and he's slugging... Almost 600, so would you want to put him on base a little bit more, considering that that whoever is behind him will probably not drive him in, given that he is a pretty good bet to hit a gigantic 450-foot home run right now? Mm, maybe. Uh, statistically, I, I would guess that, that the optimal rate is not that much more than, than it has been so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it should be noted that uh, McGee's actually hit well, and not just that, but every single person in the Marlins lineup has hit well. Every every Marlin has an OPS plus over 100 uh, right now, so uh, that certainly has put some limits on what teams can do flexibility-wise yeah. uh, when the whole lineup is hitting around him, guys are on base in front of him, uh, you know, guys who have good batting averages are, are behind him. All right, um... Okay, so that's it. That's the lineup protection episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, so you want to wrap it up? Yeah, uh, we need listener emails. Please send them to us. We today. don't really. We we don't really. We have we have a very good stock right now. We do, but we, we have always... way more than we can answer. We should give them a break. <laughs> all right, don't send us any listener emails. No, you can. We will still take them, and we we look at them in in future weeks, obviously. So please continue to send them if if you have something on your mind at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com. Subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of thirty dollars on a one year subscription. And please join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And we will be back tomorrow.